NFL. It's a wonderful thing, football, right? National Football League, 80,000 people yelling and screaming, sitting in the stands, watching the game, who are in desperate need of some exercise. (laughs) Yelling and screaming down at 22 people there on the field who are in desperate need of a break. Sometimes football is something like church. Sometimes it's said that there's a similarity there. There's a, there's a whole lot of people who have a whole lot to say about what those few on the field actually ought to be doing. There's something of that in these last chapters of Joshua that we're going to be looking at this morning. And so, so I... I um, I chose, in, in this setting, I, I chose, it's, 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 it's NFL kickoff weekend, you know, the games are playing, and, and uh, some of us are thinking about that. Some of you are probably not good for you. Um, I'll be talking about distractions, and perhaps this is one, but uh, there, well, one image I want to use is that of a crucial handoff. The game that I'm watching today might not be the one that you're focused on, but the game that I'm watching is a, is a rematch of a game last season which was also in Green Bay. And in that game, we could have done better if only we had not botched some crucial handoffs. Six times we gave up the ball. Six times when it was supposed to go from one person to another, it went went somewhere else instead. There's a crucial handoff happening in the book of Joshua. Joshua is old. He's, he's well advanced in years. He's making a handoff to the next generation. Now, you may say, well, there's something about that. There's something like Joshua with me. Okay, let's pause right here. Joshua is very old and advanced in years. Joshua, in fact, is 110 years old. So, first of all, is there anybody here 110 years old? Anybody? Now, I don't ask that because I'm looking at some of you and you look like you're 110 years old. That's not, that's not why I'm asking. I just I wanted to clear that up because, because if, that's, if that's the case and there's none of us here are yet 110, then Joshua would not be like us handing off. We would be like those that Joshua is handing off to. And in this crucial handoff that happens in that generation many years ago, but happens generation by generation in the church as well, that we carry on. We carry on this mission God has given us, this, this gaining of new ground. And there are crucial handoffs from one to another. And we, like my Seahawks, don't want to drop the ball. So there's, there, there's something said to us in this handoff. In these last three chapters, as we close this series in the book of Joshua, and I want to begin in chapter 22. So as you're turning there, I want to begin in chapter 22. And there's, there's first of all, kind of a general warning that's given to us that really could be, could be looked at apart from the other two, the uh, final handoffs on their own. But I think there's something about these three that are going to go together. And in these three chapters... There are really three different groups of people that are 
almost addressed. And it, it reminded me of something else that occurs in the New Testament, that in the church where, the, where there are these handoffs and there are the, this multiple generation, in fact, something that, something that Danielle pointed out is, is she's looking at this growth group thing and these community groups started that we're going to be in life together. We don't just want to have a Bible study. We need God's Word in our lives, but we need that lived together and, 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 and fleshed out together. We need to be able to challenge one another and encourage one another and in, in, in our walk with the Lord. And, and that's done life on life. We're going to be talking more about that in the, in the next series, Authentic Discipleship out of 2 Corinthians. But um, one thing that she mentioned, she's thinking about, like her family, young families, young adults. And, and yet she said, we, we don't want this to be just us. We need another generation with us. There's a handoff. We've got things to learn, and we will learn things from one another within this family just as occurs in any family. So it is with God's family. And so there's different generations that are addressed, and, and, and the Apostle John picks up on this in 1 John chapter 2. So let me put those verses on the screen first. And, and think about three different groups here. There are, there, are, there are little children, there are fathers, there are young men, young men ready for battle. These are the, the, the ones on the front lines ready to go. And it says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. The word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. You have been in the battle. And so these three different groups are going to be addressed, in a sense, in these three different chapters. There are the young men ready for battle. There are the fathers, those who have age and wisdom and perspective of years. They have known the Lord over time. There are children. Let's, let's um, open up in Joshua chapter 2, or chapter 22 rather. I'm going to read the first six verses. Before I do, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that it, it, it was true long ago. And yet it speaks to us today. Father, would you speak then through your word? Would you, uh, in this, this idea of a crucial handoff, that, that as Joshua is passing a torch to the next generation, that, that even we would hand off this ministry of the gospel and this gaining of new ground, that we would hand off that wealth, not merely from one generation to the next, but from one believer to the next, from one who is a little further to one who is continuing in that journey down this, this life where you have called us into. Lord, uh, uh, speak to us from your word about the things that could get in the way, the, 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 the things that we need to do. Lord, the, uh, the next step to take. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Joshua chapter 22, beginning of verse 1. At that time, Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and he said to them, You have kept all that Moses, a servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have had obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day. You've stayed with them, and you've helped them to advance into their inheritance, even though you already had received yours across the river. You have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Therefore, turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. So 
Basically what's going on here in the first chapter, chapter 22, Joshua is saying to those troops who were deployed from the eastern side of the Jordan, those two and a half family clans or tribes, and they, their, their fighting men, their young men, strong and ready for battle, were assisting the others in the stepping into their inheritance also. And it wasn't all of their men the whole time these last seven years, but they have been joining. They've continually deployed troops, and they've been assisting in this advance. But now that stage is, 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 is completed. The allotments have been worked out, and now it's time for them also to return home and to continue developing and stepping into that inheritance God has given them. Well done, he tells them. I go back, and when you go back, by the way, take these spoils, take the, br- the, the bronze, the iron, the clothing, the silver, the gold, and take these and share those with your brothers back across the river, those who have been staying behind and who have been with, with the families, those that you have been trading places with perhaps along the way. But, but go and, and share the spoils of the victories with them. And so they, they, they head back to their, they, they, they leave from Shechem, they go down the hills into, into the Jordan Valley, and then just before they cross back over Jordan, before they cross over the fords, they, they, they pause there and they say, you know what, what could happen here over time? You know, we live across the river, and rivers are like a natural barrier in communities. River, a lot of our state boundaries are made up of along rivers, right? I, I jokingly refer to Portland all the time as that land across the river. That land beyond the river. And uh, I, they've got these bridges there that are wonderful things that I try to avoid as much as I can, having to fight the traffic going across. The, um, the, the, there's a natural boundary there, and they're thinking, what if along the way it seems like over time that we don't really belong with the rest of Israel in the land? I know what we'll do. And they decide in verse 10, look at verse 10, they came to the region of Jordan, the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, they built there an altar by the Jordan. And this is on the west side. This is still in Israel's land, not the Transjordan where the other two and a half tribes are from. And the people of Gad and Manasseh, they, 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 they build this altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size. It's huge. It's a monument. It's noteworthy. You can't miss it. Now the people of Israel have heard of this, and they get a little concerned. They, they said, look, the people of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh have built this altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan, in the region about the Jordan, on the side that belongs to us. They've done this on our land. And, and when the people of Israel heard it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. Civil war is about to break out. Fortunately, cooler heads and wiser heads prevailed and the, and the leaders of the families got together and went and met and they called, they called into counsel these others and they said, what have you done? And their assumption is this, they have made another altar and either they're going to worship otherwise apart from the way of God, apart from as Moses has laid out, they're going to offer other sacrifices. Maybe they're even going to worship other gods. Who knows? But they have departed from what God gave them and how they gather together where the tabernacle is. The tabernacle is God's seat of mercy. That's where atonement is going to be. That's where the nation is to gather three times a year through three festivals. Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles around the Day of Atonement. 
And, 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 and they're, if they're supposed to keep gathering there together as one. And what is threatened here is these guys have made their own altar. They've already, they've, they've, we've hardly parted ways and they've already made their own way. And yet when we have departed and we have gone other ways than God's way of worship, it doesn't only affect those who wander off, but it affects all of us together. We've seen that. And so they're, 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 they grab these guys. They say, hey, what have you done? You know, we're about to attack you to, to, to wipe out this altar because this cannot stand. Civil war is about to break out because they have jumped to the assumption of what it is that they have done. But actually, they didn't build an altar for worship at all. They explained themselves in about verse 23, verse 24. Find my place here. Okay, here, here's the assumption. Um, if, if, if it was in rebellion, verse 23, actually 22, or in breach of faith against the Lord, then don't spare us. Yeah, go ahead and attack us for, for building an altar to turn away from following the Lord. Or if we did it to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings, may the Lord himself take vengeance because the tabernacle is the place for that. But verse 24, no. We did it from fear that in time to come your children might say to our children, what have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? The Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you, the people of Reuben Gad. You have no portion with the Lord. And so your children might make our children cease to worship the Lord. They might exclude us someday along the way. And so we have made this altar of witness, this altar of testimony to testify that it's not for burnt offerings, it's not for sacrifices, but as a testimony that we belong with Israel, that we worship the Lord with you. That's the whole idea here. That's the intention. That was not the assumption. One of the first things we learn here is great conflict can easily arise, easily arise. Great distraction can easily arise when we, within God's people, jump to conclusions about one another. That's what I called jumping to distraction. Rather than warring against their real enemy that is around them, now they are fighting amongst themselves. They're about to break into open war, civil war between themselves because one has jumped to conclusions about what the others might do in the future and the others have jumped to conclusions about what they're doing right now. They've seen them do something that they're pretty sure is against God's word and actually they're right. There was no need for that altar. It shouldn't have been built. But the reason it was built, they have jumped to conclusions about, and that has caused them to jump to distraction, pulling them away from what their mission together actually is. That was true in Israel. It's easily true in the church. We easily, especially with people we have some differences with, especially with people that we might have some disagreement with, we easily jump to conclusions about what it is they're doing, and we're very willing to believe the worst about others. Not long ago, just after the hurricane uh, swept into Houston, uh, Joel Olstein's church was in the news. Uh, you may have various opinions about Joel Olstein, but in general, a lot of Bible-believing evangelicals do not like the message and the overall thrust and direction of the ministry. We think we we believe that Joel has probably gone a bit off the rails in terms of the message that he preaches. 
leaving the gospel behind. And yet, in this case, the accusations that were made against that church and thus against he as well, that, that they weren't helping. In fact, they were closing their doors to flood and hurricane victims when in fact they were not. In fact, they had invested many resources and people in relief all over Houston. And they are even located in the area that they're located in because they have wanted as a church to have a ministry in some of the most difficult part of the city. You wouldn't necessarily think that from the TV broadcast. But, but the reality is they have been very involved in Houston, and they were even in the midst of this hurricane. But evangelicals quickly piled on, and all of the Facebook posts and the Twitter storm and all of it came up together and in, in, in against and uh, jumping to the conclusion. Because we have disagreements with this church or this particular ministry, we easily would assume the worst about them. And it becomes a big distraction again for the church. It'll happen on a scale like that. It'll happen, it'll happen with uh, us individually as well. One, one person might say this or that about a particular social thing going on, and e- very easily we start to divide in what seems like political lines when political lines ought not divide the church that has all of Jesus Christ in common. You, you think I'm making much of that? Well, 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 try taking a stand one way or another on what you think about the president um, rescinding that DACA, that Dreamer's executive action. Put that on out on Facebook and see what happens. Don't know about that one. Maybe, um, uh, maybe, maybe make some comment. It's football season. Make some comment about, I, I, I think, you know, these players, why is, why is the players sitting during the national anthem? Why is that a problem? When did the national anthem ever become uh, being something that's honoring veterans or first responders? I thought the national anthem related to our, our, our country together. And, and if, I, if I force somebody to stand, am I forcing an expression upon them that actually goes against things I cherish concerning free speech? Wade into that argument one way or another. Then just wait for the Twitter storm to happen because we easily get distracted about side issues, jumping to distraction. Now, now what was really going on here, what they un- unveiled in their explanation, we did it with the best of intentions, not to worship some false way, we, but we did it in fear. What if the others, what if their fellow brothers and sisters had heard that part? We did it in fear. What do they fear? Then in the future, you'll say we don't belong. In the, fear, in, in the future, we fear that you'll say we're not part of God's covenant with his people. We, we fear, we are insecure in our own identity in God's people, and we are fearful we don't think we can trust ourselves to you. Does that get a little closer to home? Well, that's rampant in the church. We are insecure in our own identity in Jesus, And thus we project. And we are afraid to trust ourselves to one another. If I I reveal too much, if I lean on you too much, I'm afraid you'll let me down. And so I'm careful. I stay within myself. I'm I'm a little less vulnerable. And, and, And when I'm acting out of fear, what do I, what's gonna help that from you? You could pile on. You could criticize me. 
You could judge me and condemn me and say, I better change. I better, I better fix my ways. I better act differently. That will help me, won't it? I'll feel more secure then, won't I? Oh, I'll be all, 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 all more confident in my standing in Christ and my, our, our identity together in a covenant community and family if, if you start condemning me and, and, and pressing me to get my act together. No, that won't help. What could have happened here? What if they had listened and they had heard their brothers say, we're afraid. We're insecure in our own identity as God's covenant people. We, we are afraid that we can't trust ourselves to you into the future. So we built this altar. We manufactured something else that we could have some confidence in. Oh my, when I lose my confidence in, in God's what God's done for me in his covenant with us, when I lose confidence in my identity as the redeemed, I manufacture something else that I will have some confidence in. Oh, that's getting too close. We better back away from that. What if, what if those other nine tribes had said, no, 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 guys, guys, you don't need to build some other altar. Look right over here. Look what God did. Look at, you, look at the cover of your bulletin. Look at the cover of your bulletin one more time. This image is going away after this week. So look at that one more time. There's an arrow going into the land. Look at that arrow. There's a, there's a walled city right there, right? You know what city that is. What city is that? Right there, going into the land the first time, crossing Jordan. What city? Jericho, the walls. The walls came a-tumbling down, right? Right next to that, there's a pile of stones. What's that about? What's that pile of stones, that pillar of stones right next to Jericho on the map there? What's that about? How many? How many are there? There's 12 of them. Why? Because one person from each tribe, when, they, when God parted Jordan and when they came across on dry land, one representative from each of the 12 families picked up a big rock and brought it out off that dry land in the middle of the river and they made a pillar, a memorial pillar together. What those other nine could have done is said, look, brothers, look, sisters. See those? There's not nine stones there. There's 12. God did this for all of us. God brought us all across Jordan together. Remember that? What they needed to do, what they could have done, was reinforced their identity in God's redemption and covenant. And when you're insecure, when I'm insecure... When somebody you know is acting out and they're walking contrary to God's covenant. Why? Because they're trying to gather some reinforcement of value or confidence or, or some other security because they're feeling insecure in that identity and what God has done for them in Jesus. What do you need to do? Criticize that? Well, you can do that. But it won't help nearly as much as pointing to where their confidence can be in what God has done for them of bringing them through death into new life in Jesus. That's what's going on here in chapter 22. The young and the strong, the young and the restless, the, the, the young man ready for warfare are going to go to warfare even against each other. Don't jump to distraction. Rather, rather focus on what God has done. Let God's word continue to abide in us together concerning what he has done for us. Now, that's going to take some people. Like I said, in that story, there were the, as you read through the rest of chapter 22 on your own, we're not going to do that now, but, but as you do that, you're going to find that, that there were some who were wiser, and they, they, um, they're the ones that led off away from the precipice of civil war here. And there are times 
again and again and again and again in our Christian life and in our family together where some of us need to lead. This, this, this church family, if we're going to go forward, we're going to advance into what the opportunities God is giving us around us. We, some of us are going to need to lead. Some of us are going to have to, are going to need to get out of the stands and get down on the field and get into the game. Now, who should that be? Well, well, let's, let's, um, let's look at chapter 23. Again, I want to wade into the chapter just a little bit. Maybe the, maybe the first, uh, the first few verses, we'll see how far we go from verse one. A long time after that other episode, a long time from there, now Joshua is old, advanced in years. He's 110, but none of us are. So we're not Joshua handing off here. We are being handed off to by Joshua. We're in that group. Joshua says, I'm old, I'm advanced in years, and you have seen. Now, I should back up. Verse 1. No, verse 2. Joshua summoned Israel. Particularly, Joshua summoned its elders and its heads, its judges and its officers, and he says to them, he's speaking now to the leaders. In chapter 24, he's going to speak to all the people. He's going to speak to the congregation together. But right now, he's speaking just to leaders. So some of you say, I'm not a leader. Great, you can tune out, okay? I'll come back to you in a few minutes. Just sit there, you know, veg, check your phone, check the scores of the early games, something, you know. I'll come back to you, Okay. So he said, I'm not a leader. Great. Okay, you turn out now. You drift off. We'll get you back in a minute. He's speaking to leaders here. He says, you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to, to these nations for your sake. If it is the Lord your God who has fought for you, behold, I've allotted you an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain among all the nations that I've already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea. The Lord your God will push them out before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess the land just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be strong to keep and do what is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right or to the left, so that you might not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their God or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them, but you will cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. Look what God has done. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. You know this. Joshua first addresses the leaders, and he, he, he speaks to them in very clear terms. He doesn't pull any punch, and he reminds them, look what God has done, and you need to hold to it. You need to stick to the course. You need to hold to God's word. You need to walk in his ways. You're the leaders. You have experienced God's faithfulness over time. You know that God can be trusted. You know that our future fruitfulness and the future ground gain depends on our continuing to trust the Lord and to walk in his word. You know there's a danger. You know we will continually be pressed with the danger of being drawn aside into the ways of the surrounding world. And we have to actively guard against it because it, it will, it will, it will um, ruin our enjoyment of all that God has given us. Now, I'm going to ask you just in a moment, some of you, only, only some of you this, this is going to apply to. The rest of you just keep, you know, you're, you're out there. I'll get you back in a minute. For some of you, these three things apply to you. Let me put up on the, on, on the screen here. If these three things apply to you, I'm going to ask you to stand up, okay? In just a moment, not yet. If you can say, I have experienced God's faithfulness and I know that I can trust God. If you can say that and you say, I'm convinced that by gain, gaining new ground is going to come from continuing in God's ways, 
not following other paths. I've got to keep digging into what, is, what would the Lord have me to do because that's the only way to fruitfulness. If you believe that, then, and I'm convinced that there is a very present danger of wandering from God's word into the ways of the surrounding world. If you believe all three of those, if you're convinced of those three things, then you would be like these elders, officials, leaders that Joshua is talking to here. So if you say, yes, I know, I'm convinced of those three things, then I want you to stand up. If, only if you're convinced of these three things, stand up. The rest of you, you know, it's okay. Because if you are, you need to lead. You need to lead. We gotta get out of the stands. We can't be the 80,000 that are yelling and screaming to not much effect. We need to get into the game. What we do, where we go, God's, the advance into God's fruitfulness, the gaining of new grounds, depends on you setting the direction and leading the way for somebody, even if it's simply in one-on-one conversations, even if it's in the encouraging word. If you're standing because you believe these three things, you are in this game. You need to lead. It doesn't mean you have to have this role or position of leadership, but you need to be leading First of all, yourself, so that you can lead others. Because they also, need to in, they also need to become convinced of these things. They also need to know what it is to trust and walk with the Lord and experience his faithfulness and his fruitfulness. Okay? Before you sit down, before you sit down, let's pray. Father, before we go on from here, before we see one more thing, Lord, I want to ask your grace, your help. Lord, your enabling of these Father, indeed, would you help us to lead ourselves to continue in your way? And would you help us to look around and see who we could grab hold of? It might be our own family. It might be friends. It might be people around us in the church. It might be somebody else who's just a half step behind us on the trail that, that we could encourage and strengthen in this walk together as family or inviting into this family. Lord, would you help us to lead, that we would experience your faithfulness, that we would see your fruitfulness, that we together as your people would gain new ground. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's important now and again, go ahead, have your seats again. It's important now and again to be intentional. It's important to focus. It's important to say, okay, this is one of those times, lay a marker down. Because we need to be in times, particularly intentional about what am I going to do? What am I going to give myself to? And that's what Joshua tells the whole people. This is where those famous lines in, Jer- in Joshua chapter 22 and verse 14 and verse 15 come in. And you, you, you've heard this probably somewhere before. I'll read these two verses. Now, therefore, and he's telling all the people this now. So this would be the little children, perhaps. Everybody in the congregation, this is for you. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods from your fathers served beyond the river and in in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it seems evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, well, then choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, Joshua says, we will serve God the Lord. You can't control what somebody else is going to do, but you can set a, 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 a determinate direction for yourself.
for your family, for your circle of influences, me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to take the next step in following him. We're going to continue in his ways. We're going to abide in his words. We're going to continue to trust him and live in his faithfulness. Well, that's a, that's, a, that, that's a strong urging, and it's, and it's a passionate plea from Joshua. What legs does it stand on? I could urge you to that. I, I could say, come on, come on, serve the Lord, follow him. He, in fact, you know, there's, there's, there's clear things in, in Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6, and we've, and we've been back there again out of, out of this series reminding ourselves of some of those particulars that we should and can step into. These are clearly things that we should do. There are implications out of faith in Christ that these are particulars that we could do and we could easily seem like we're moving right back into that jumping to distraction in judgment of one another. Those are not the legs Joshua stands on here. He assumes a a, a commitment in the leadership that he doesn't assume concerning the people as a whole. But what all of us need is the basis of his appeal in Joshua 24. Do you want to know what it is? Do you want to know on what basis Joshua would dare to say, choose this day whom you will serve? you know what the basis for that is? Look back at the start of the chapter. He gathers all the people at Shechem. He summons, again, with the, with the leaders as well. And they presented himself before the Lord, and Joshua says in verse 2, to all the people. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived behind the, behind the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Naor, and they served other gods. They were idolaters. Your fathers, the, the family line you come from, ungodly people they were. Oh, my goodness. I could tell you stories about the people you come from. I could tell you stories about the genetic mess you are. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river, and I led him through the land of Canaan, and I made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, that miracle baby. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. I'm I'm gracious to Esau as well. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. (laughs) That's what you get for being the favorite son, huh? And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterwards I brought you out. The redemption of Israel from Egypt. And I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea, and you thought you were done. And when they cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and he made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. Actually, he's just alluded to the fact that they rejected trusting God. There were giants in the land that they were afraid of. Those giants are on your bulletin cover as well, by the way. They they were afraid of the giants in the land. Oh, God promised them, but we don't believe it because these guys are too big for us. And God doesn't bring that back up now. God doesn't. Remember when you didn't believe me? Remember when you didn't have enough faith? That is not what God says. God says here, "Eh, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. He passes right on by it. My brother, my sister, in Jesus Christ, your sin, your iniquity, he remembers no more. That is not the point. Your mother will guilt trip you, but God will not. All right? I might guilt trip you sometime, but God will not. God doesn't guilt trip us into serving him. God says, my child, I love you so much. This is what I've done for you. You lived in the wilderness a long time, and I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, but 
I gave them into your hand. You took possession of their land. I destroyed them before you. Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel, tried to destroy you just before you entered my inheritance. And, and he invited Balaam to come and help him, but I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, I made him bless you. I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan. You came to Jericho. And leaders of Jericho fought against you. And the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hitt- all of them. And I gave them into your hands. I even used hornets. There's something good about yellow jackets. Look at that. I even used hornets. Look how much I love you. Look how much I've done for you. Oh, my child. Choose then this day. I mean, who would you serve? But it's based always on what God has done for us. Those chapters I told you about in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, and there's a lot of particulars. Man, the implications of this new life that God calls us to live in, where does that come from? The realities of what God has done for us in chapters 1, 2, and 3. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 12. You know, Romans chapter 12, finally we get to a command. Finally we get to, in the book of Romans, a chapter 12, something God tells us to do. Because in chapters 1 through 11, he's been telling us all that he has done for us. And then he says, therefore, I urge you, I plead with you, my brothers and sisters, based on the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Present, yield. Yield, give, give yourselves over to God. You can trust yourself with him. How do you know? Look what he's done for us. Look what he's done for us. That's the plea that Joshua makes. Yeah, we need to, we need to choose. But we choose based on look what God has done for us. There'll be plenty of voices telling you other stories. So one of the things we need to do, one of the reasons we need to be getting together, one of the reasons we need to gather together in life-on-life stuff where we're connecting together, we're growing together with other growing believers, one of the reasons we need to do that is because we need to keep telling ourselves this truth. They'd heard it all before. Joshua's not telling them something new here. He's reminding them of what God has done. Because in the midst of all the other voices, in the midst of all the other things that say, come over here, I've got something that will really fulfill you. You're hungry, you're thirsty, I know, but hey, we've got, we've got something here. This will make you feel good. This is good. This experience, this thing, these credentials, this is going to fulfill you. And you need to keep reminding yourself of what God has done. Reminding yourself that nobody else, nobody who's advertising on TV desperate to squeeze your money out of you, all the things they offer you, all the experience or the stuff, all the things that we would strive after, the recognition or whatever, none of those love you the way your God does because none of those are giving you what God has given. They're rather seeking to take the meager resources that you've got. That won't satisfy. He alone can satisfy. That's the basis of Joshua's plea. So yeah, there'll be distractions. We need to then determine who this day am I going to serve. Yeah, we need to. We need to focus on that. Because the enemy does not want you to walk with the Lord. He does not want you to remember the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for you. So when you've got to gather together, 
You've got to tell me again that story. You've got to tell somebody else that story. You've got to rehearse it around the table in your family or around the table in our family. We've got to do that. We're going to gather together next year. We, 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 we have quarterly business meetings. We're not having a quarterly business meeting next week. We kind of might, but we're going to have a church family dinner. And the, the business of our church is ministry. And we're going to talk about the, 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 the vision and direction that we're going in in the fall and how you could join in. If you're newer here in the church, this would be a wonderful time for you to understand. I'm going to, in fact, I'm going to talk about these groups. Whether There's a whole list of different kinds of groups in the bulletin. There's these new groups forming and, and, and around community especially. I'm going to give you a pattern that no matter what kind of smaller ministry group, there are four things that ought to be happening there. We're going to talk about that next Wednesday at our church family dinner and meeting. I urge you to come find out, is this, is this place for us? Because is this, are they walking in a direction we want to go as well? Would we indeed be better off by pulling together here, worshiping, growing, and serving together? Easily, we'll jump to distraction. But again, based on what you know, you need to lead. Lead the way for yourself and others into choosing. They're, 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 they're worshiping together. That's chapter 22. Growing together, leading others deeper into what God has for us as well. That's, that's chapter 23. Serving together, as Joshua says. That's chapter 24. We're going to keep stepping into this in the fall, but there's a crucial handoff here. Maybe it's not completely from one person to another. Maybe it's Maybe it's Next step. So I want us to pause and pray here now about that handoff, about that next step, about, Lord, what would you have me to do? How would you have me to focus? Who would you have me to lead? How would you have me to serve? And then we're going to receive this morning's offering. I'm funny about this. We never take the offering. Nobody's going to be held upside down and shook. We don't take an offering at this church. We will receive your offering together. And that's why this is where we also receive those communication cards because that's the, that's the place where we communicate. I'm here. I'm in. I'd like to serve here. I, 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 I need prayer here. Pray with me about this. I, I, I need help with this. Let's... let's Offer ourselves and our needs as well as what we would, how we would, by the mercies of God, present ourselves. That's what this offering is about. Would you pray with me? Father, there are many distractions. Lord, those, those, those distractions come within us. Our own tendency to condemn others to some way feel better about ourselves. Father, would we find that instead in you? Would we find our, our feeling about ourselves coming from how passionately you love us, a scene in all that you have done for us? Lord, then on that, based on that, Lord, would we, would we yield ourselves then to you? Would we indeed trust ourselves to you? And, and doing that, we can even entrust ourselves to one another. Father, there's something perhaps in that bulletin on that communication card that that would be my offering. Lord, give me the courage today to choose, to lay aside any false gods, 
other distractions to pursue you with another step forward in devotion and trust. Then use, Lord, the offering of our own lives. Use this offering that we would gather this morning. Use it in Lebanon. Use it in India. Father, use it in this community for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.